1: Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.
0: Looks like he's going to take off himself and he will get to the 20 to the 50. Still going, Riley up in the air. Touchdown, Eskimos. How do you like them, Apple? Breaking
1: away is Connor McDavid barreling down the right-hand side to the net. ring score.
0: That one, a beautiful
1: end-to-end rush. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Breed Wilkins on the Voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 6:30 Chad.
2: David, the game winner, in overtime.
0: A much-needed victory for your Edmonton Oilers last night against the Islanders. Can they finally win two in a row? They have yet to do that all season long. They'll play the Devils tomorrow. Of course, we'll have it on 6.30, Chad. 3.30 for the face-off show, and the game will start at 5. Eskimos getting ready for that West semifinal. It's Sunday on Kiss and Country, 103.9, 1.30. Countdown to kickoff. The game will start at 2.30. The Eskimos practicing today. You'll hear from Brandon Zilstra later on in the show, and we'll tell you which Eskimos have uh, been named division all-stars. My name is Reed Wilkins. Good to have you. Tuning in tonight inside sports on six thirty, chat It is six oh seven, and we're going to dive right in with former NHL goaltender, now a broadcaster and an author. It's Kelly Rudy. Hey, Kelly, how's it going?
3: Fantastic. Read. My wife and I are on our way to uh, the drugstore. We're going to get our flu shot. How's that sound?
0: Oh, well, that sounds like, I'm sure like a dream date for most couples. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Good point by you. <laughs> That's, I like it. I, yeah. I called it date night. Yeah, so maybe I'm not the most romantic guy in the world anymore.
0: Yeah, but now you can say if your wife ever says we well, haven't gone out in a while, well, what are you? What are you? What are you, what are you talking about? We went for flu shots. And then,
3: you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you pressured me. Now I have to take her out for dinner after Reed.
0: Yeah, exactly. You better you better find a you know, a nice uh, ice cream place or, or or something like that. Uh I I love how you're always uh, you know, open with your what you're doing uh, you know, when you're on the road, you'll talk about where you're going or if you're going for a glass of wine or or where you like to visit in certain cities. But I, I the the flu shot threw me for a little bit of a loop, but I I do appreciate that. Uh <laughs> Kelly, great to have you on, on the show. I, I love I, I love introducing you now as an author as well because you got the book out called Calling the Shots and that's always kind of been a, uh, uh, a desire of mine is to someday uh, actually write a book. I don't know if it'd be interesting enough. I'd probably have to write some weird uh, science fiction type book. Do you think you want to do another one now that you've got one out there? And I know you're, you're still promoting this one. It's brand new. But do you think there's another one in you? You
3: know what? Not yet. Um, Maybe uh, another passion of ours, as you know, is mental health. So maybe just talking about some stuff relating to that. Um, But I don't think there's another hockey book in me right now anyways. And and I kind of exhausted all my stories. So I think right now we're going to just sort of keep that one, put that one to rest in in a year or so and then uh, move on after that.
0: All right. Fair enough. Hey. I gotta, I gotta ask you something here because the Oilers uh, don't have a good record. Obviously, they're five, eight, and one. Got a big win last night. Their home record is three and six. They've only played five road games. They've gone two, two, and one. So you know, okay. The last four road games have all ended two-one. They got five out of a possible eight points. Cam Talbot in those four road games is nine fifty-six save percentage. He's below 900 at home. The Oilers' penalty killing is last in the league, but they're 92% in their last four road games. I don't know if you've ever been through that yourself, Kelly, where uh, a a team you've been on or have watched is so drastically different home and away, but what do you think's going on there?
3: Well, I looked at some of those numbers as well, and uh, I I guess I most likely would have been in a situation like that. I'm having a hard time remembering that now, but, uh, you know, I think it's... To me, what stands out more in, in watching some of the games, and as you said, the lower scoring games on the road, they're just more focused and more comfortable um, in that situation, and I know I have been in that situation where uh, I get pretty nervous and jittery at home, and sometimes you feel a whole lot more pressure at home, and uh, you just, it's, even no matter how many years as a pro, you sometimes it just catches up to you. So. That's what I think is going on, amongst other things, with that team. But that was uh, that certainly was a great win last
0: night. Well, yeah, that was a great win for sure, and, and it's it's funny too. I mean, look, it's it's hard to get into the minds of of the players. I mean, you can only observe what's going on, and it almost looks like at home, Kelly. I mean, Rob Brown used the word arrogance a couple games ago that they've played some arrogant games at home where they almost expect, like, well, well, how come these teams aren't just... Don't they know who we are? Don't they remember coming here and losing last year? Whereas on the road, they're almost like, okay, you know, if it takes 60 minutes to win, 62, 65, whatever, we're in for the long haul. Whereas they've, they've kind of not risen to the challenge at home. And a perfect example, Sunday against Detroit, they gave up an early goal three minutes in and then and, and kind of pouted about it almost. And
3: maybe the reason why uh, it looks so troubling to people like Rob and myself and so on that have played, because when we played, there were easy games, right? And And now, if you are not ready, and if you don't have everybody going, the likelihood of you losing is far greater than when uh he and i played like there were some nights that you ser- seriously could just turn it on and and you would beat somebody pretty easily i know i kind of embarrassed myself uh my one of my first years with the islanders and of course such a veteran laden team and uh, we we're playing vancouver and keep in mind vancouver wasn't very good at that point or in that season and uh it was 2-2 after two and i came in the dressing room and i ripped into the guys and they kind of looked at me like shut up like we know and then we went out and scored five goals in the third period and it was like see kid like this is how it kind of works in this in this league so but you really don't have that uh, situation in today's game it's you know you got to be ready as you said if you give up a goal early it's awfully difficult you look at the flames last night um vancouver lost the night before um so back to back and uh, they they gave it pretty they gave it uh, pretty good to Calgary last night. Calgary had a great second period, but they had nothing in the third. So if you're not ready, uh, you'll lose in this league.
0: Kelly Rudy joining us inside Sports on 630. Chad, former goaltender, now an analyst for the NHL on Rogers. His book is now available. It's called Calling the Shots. You know, we uh, and I got a really good breakdown from Rob Brown of the McDavid dry-settle goal coming up. But when you saw that goal, Kelly, and and I'm sure you have a different take on it as as an ex-goaltender, but you see in three-on-three is like that. The Islanders work the puck right in tight to the net. Don't get a shot away. And as as soon as it's loose, it's that long breakout and that kind of long, sort of unconventional two-on-one with McDavid-Dryslettle because they weren't even with each other. When you saw what they executed on that play, I mean, what's going through your mind?
3: First of all, I thought it was uh, quite easy to read what they were going to do. You you knew that McDavid was going to try and gain the blue line. That's job number one. Uh, At that point, I thought it would be a a nice give and go, and it was like a two-foot pass to Drysidle. He read the play really well. Maybe the unconventional part is the backhand pass by Drysidle, but it seemed to me that that was a pretty clear option, Uh, although I'm not sure what Letty could have done differently. He didn't have any support. And if he if he tries to read the play and sticks just with Drysyle or and leaves Drysyle and goes to McDavid expecting a pass, then Drysyle goes in all alone. So he was uh, in a bad situation. Even though I I, I suspect he also knew what was going to happen. And then I mean it's a perfectly placed pass right in the wheelhouse of McDavid and he roofs it. So there's no chance for the goaltender either. I I thought it was well executed. That just perfectly shows the chemistry that they have. That uh, uh, McDavid all along knew, knew that he all he wanted to do is game the blue line, and then they could attack from there.
0: I mean, when you played in, in an era of a lot of goals and a lot of good offensive players, and I know as a goaltender you want to react. I mean, if you get caught cheating, you're just going to get burned. But But were there tendencies you would try to keep in mind When good players were coming down on a two-on-one, or or did you have their moments? Did you have those moments where it's like, oh, great, it's these two guys. There's about nine different things they 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 could do here, and you're you're kind of just not. I mean, I know you're you were confident, and I'm not saying that you thought you were going to get embarrassed, but there must have been moments where you're like, oh no, this is not a good, this is not a good attack coming against me here.
3: Well, simply because uh, the really great ones, like if it was Curry and Lemieux or curry and gretzky you knew that uh uh, in all likelihood it's going to be a perfect pass from wayne to yari and vice versa the one thing about yari that people forget not only was he a great scorer but he is also a great passer great two-way player in fact and so that was always really really challenging and also guys like lemieux and and kevin stevens when they had maybe a two-on-one uh what made that maybe uh, a, a different kind of attack is that Mario had a great shot also, and he and he used it a lot, and he changed it up. So he'd go uh, low stick side sometimes, he'd go high glove. He, he you really he kept you off guard. Um, and then Kevin Stevens, of course, was great on the two on ones, and he was a great finisher himself. So every situation's a little bit different. Uh, I remember when playing against Pavel Bure, he really, he, he's great at deking, but he loved high-glove hand uh, from in close, so you had to, he kept you honest that way. So, you know, you get a book on all these guys, and the good ones change it up, and uh, the good ones really believe in themselves. I remember a game with Mario Lemieux. We were winning 3-1. I was with the Islanders at the time. We were winning, I'm sorry, 3-2 uh, with about, Two minutes to go. He gets a breakaway. I made the save. He shot high glove hand. He gets another breakaway with about 30 seconds to go. And I'm thinking, surely he's not going to go glove hand again because that's what he's showing me. And the bugger was so confident. He did go high glove and scored. And we went in overtime. that one really annoyed me. You can tell it's how many years later. And I still remember how he was so confident in in his abilities. And he went to the well twice in a row.
0: One more for you, Kelly. And I'm glad you brought up Lemieux because uh, Rob said that Lemieux would actually try to score from behind the net. Were there guys that like, could would actually try to bank it off you, or you had to be extra aware because they could be behind the icing line and not just be looking to pass? They might be trying to, to squeeze one in off you?
3: Yes, indeed. The smart ones. Yeah. And you still see it in today's game. Guys that, uh, from certain uh, angles or situations, they recognize that, uh, you know what, there is a... A bit of an opening if i can bank it off his pad or back of his leg back of his knee something like that there's the possibility exists and it's not everybody that uh, can do it so you know i hate to be dismissive but a third or fourth line guy most likely isn't going to have the the mind for that
0: Right. Well, and I've I've seen McDavid try to do it. A lot of times when there's a rebound, he just quickly will put it back into the crease because it could hit the goalie, could hit a skate, you know, and then it winds up in the net. Kelly, great memories. Thanks for chiming in tonight. Enjoy the flu shot and we'll do this again next week. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks. Take care, bud. That's Kelly Rudy checking in on his way to get a flu shot. That's how dedicated he is to talking to you once a week here on Inside Sports. Minnesota and Toronto are tied 1-1 with 46 seconds left in the first period. Early on, about five minutes in, no score between the Bruins and the Rangers. Later on the Lightning play, the Sharks. We'll take a deeper look inside McDavid's overtime winner when we get back inside sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 630 Chet. This is Mark Latestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with the Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chat. So you probably saw Drake Cajula block that shot in the second period last night against the Islanders. He did not practice today, will not play tomorrow, had an x-ray. Good news is nothing is broken. Anton Slepyshev skated today. He's missed the last two games. We will see about him tomorrow. So keep it tuned to Bob Stauffer. Oilers now noon to 2. He'll have an update on Slepyshev. Slepyshev did practice today on a line with Lucic and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, which uh, where he was when he was pretty effective Friday night when they beat New Jersey 6-3 last week. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in. Your Oilers update for Nisku Ford. Every model on sale every day. Nisku Ford above expectations. McDavid, the overtime winner. And a great breakdown here from our Inside the Game analyst, Rob Brown. Now the Oilers
2: come thundering the other way. It's McDavid with Lenny back. Yeah, I think McDavid was a little surprised that when he got to the far blue line, he didn't have a clear-cut breakaway. There's very few players in the NHL that when McDavid gets the puck and you're even with him, that by the far blue line, you're still even with him. So I give Letty credit for that. So at that point, when he gets up to the blue line, his first thought is make sure this doesn't go offside. So I've got to make sure that I keep the puck as far away from Letty as I can, the defender, but allowing myself to get across the blue line and keeping the puck on the offensive side. Once he does that, now he's just putting his body between Letty and the puck, and Letty has no chance. McDavid is strong on his skate, so pushing or cross-checking or anything like that's not going to affect McDavid. And now he's just putting the puck into an area because he knows that dry settles by himself. And he can give, it doesn't matter if it hits his forehand, his backhand, whatever he gets it. Letty is on him. Dry settle's gonna have time to con- corral the puck. Dropped
0: it off, Dry settle. That's
2: as soon as you give Dry settle the puck, now you put yourself into a shooting position. It's if he had uh, a different type of player with him, then he it's not as important getting into this, the goal scoring position. But he knows Dry settle's first thought is pass. So as soon as he moves the puck, he gets all cocked and ready, and now he's waiting for the puck to come and he's now ready to shoot because as we've seen and talked about many times. Not a lot of guys are great at one-timing, and one of the big reasons is they don't prepare themselves for the one-timer. McDavid's not one of those players. He knows how to put the puck on neck very quickly, and he just got himself in a position, and that's where I thought the best play of the entire thing happened was the dry sidle pass. He also had to shield the puck from Letty, turn around, spin around, pass, and he could not have placed it any better for McDavid to shoot it because the goaltender, Grice, got across quickly, but not quick enough to stop McDavid's shot. What
1: Dreisaitl to McDavid, the game-winner
2: in overtime.
0: Great breakdown there from uh, Rob Brown. That was some overtime open line last night, but I I had to get that out there because that play happens so fast, and I love the way how Rob explains all the little things that the offensive players have to do to make that happen. James Text again. He says, Reed, I don't remember if it was after Jersey or Detroit, but Rob Brown said teams should have two D-men at the start of overtime when Connor and Leon are out. I'm glad the Islanders weren't listening. You know what, James? Rob's been saying that. I don't know if the first time he said it on air, but he's been saying that to me since last season, that that he thinks that's how teams should match up against... McDavid and Settle to survive that shift and then get your own offensive players out for the next shift. Uh, I can't remember if anybody's ever had two D-men out against the Oilers since they started three-on-three. Three. Let's keep it a secret, everybody. No, oh, we didn't hear Rob Brown say anything. What are you talking about? The leading receiver in the CFL, Brandon Zilster, will be on the show in the next half hour. And when we get back, Mike Wilner, Blue Jays broadcaster, remembers Roy Halliday.
4: This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad.
0: Well, really appreciate you tuning in tonight game tomorrow on 6.30 Chet. Coverage is going to start at 3.30 in the afternoon. Face off at 5 against the Devils. Eskimos West semi-final will be on Kissing Country 103.9 on Sunday because we have a, an Oilers game on Chet. So we got both, uh, both games for you on our core station. So uh, I'm sure you'll be doing some flipping on your radio. First period is over in Toronto. 1-1 between the Wild and the Maple Leafs. Bruins and Rangers tied 1-1 with 7 minutes left in the first period. Lightning and Sharks later on. Well, sad story yesterday, of course. Former Blue Jays pitcher Roy Halladay passing away at the age of 40. Plane crash in the Gulf of Mexico off the coast of Florida. He won a Cy Young with the Jays, also won a Cy Young in a World Series with the Philadelphia Phillies. Mike Wilner covers the Toronto Blue Jays for Sportsnet 590 in Toronto. Mike, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you?
1: I'm doing all right. I wish we were uh, gathering on happier occasions, but uh, things are okay over here.
0: Yeah, well, I appreciate you doing this. I know it's a it's a sad time for people uh, around the Blue Jays, the team, and people like you who, who cover the team. And we all know what a great pitcher Roy Halladay was and you saw him take to the mound, and we saw him on television for the Blue Jays and the Phillies, but someone like you would have got to know the, the man as well as the player, and, and I think I want to start there with uh, maybe, you know, a memory or an observation of of who Roy Halliday was uh, a, as a person, if we put the athlete side of it aside, maybe.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know what? He, he was a tough guy to get to know during his career. Um, he wasn't one of those players who you'd find sitting around at his locker playing video games or FaceTiming people or, or just, um, I guess we didn't have that when he played but, uh, but there certainly were people who just sat at their lockers and played video games and chatted with their teammates and all that stuff. He was always uh, working so he was very tough to track down. He was always in the weight room or with the trainer or um, watching video or in a meeting so he wasn't someone who you could just kind of wander saunter up to and, and start up a conversation. And I think that, um, in his post playing days, I learned more about, uh, the man, um, and, and saw the, uh, the funny side, the self-deprecating side, the, the, even the goofy side of, of him a little bit came through a lot in his Twitter feed, um, spending time with him at the, uh, Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame inductions this past summer. Um, he was uh, very honored and thrilled and, and, and just loose and relaxed like I'd almost never seen him. I had a couple of in-depth interviews with him as a player, but not nearly enough. Um, but this was a, a very genuine guy, uh, very kind, uh, very warm-hearted, very normal for uh, an athlete of his stature, which is unusual, too. Um, and it, it's, it's a, a massive loss from that aspect. You know, I, I feel like uh, um, in covering him for 12 years, um, I may have talked to his wife more often than I talked to him. And Brandy was always involved with the Lady J's and raising money and food bank donations and all that wonderful stuff. Uh, and and I'm like just ripped apart for her. Um, she's such a wonderful woman, and um, uh, uh, they had a, a great relationship. From you know anything that anybody could see uh, in St. Mary's, they were hilarious with each other. She was ribbing him the whole time, and he was just kind of taking it. And uh, uh, so it's it's Brandy and and it's the boys, his sons, Brayden and Ryan, uh, a couple of teenage kids who who really. Um, you know, our hearts are shattered for as much as the Blue Jays family and the baseball family and the Phillies too uh, miss him and fans love him uh, with good reason. Um, our loss is, you know, the loss of this baseball icon that we, we were looking forward to seeing next year when they put him up on the level of excellence in a couple of years when he goes into Cooperstown. And then, you know, a one or two more times in his life when uh there's a reunion or something but um you know to to lose a a husband a father at just 40 years old i mean that's that's the, the the immeasurable tragedy of what happened last night
0: Yeah, well, I think, Mike, you you put it very well. Mike Wilner joining us on Inside Sports, uh, giving us some uh, thoughts on the passing of Roy Halladay, the great Blue Jays and Phillies pitcher, who we got to know uh, as a Toronto Blue Jay, I guess, first in the late 90s, Mike, and to take it down the the, the baseball path. I mean, obviously, he was outstanding, but I think a, a key moment in his career, and I can remember as a fan thinking which way is it going to go for this guy. You know, he kind of burst on the scene. I think his second start of of his career, he almost threw a no-hitter, and then he had a rough year in 2000. And then in 2001, he's all the way back down to single A and kind of has to Work his way back up to the majors, which he did that season, and then obviously had an excellent career. But I think uh, you know, I'm sure you can comment on what that speaks to his journey as a pitcher, and and probably to his his determination and patience and willingness um, to go through that work, because that had to be uh, that had to be a tough moment for a guy going back down to, to single A when he when he thinks maybe he's on the uptick.
1: Yeah, um, you know. Like you said, he burst onto the scene, and, and we had been hearing about this first-round pick and, and this great young pitcher, and then he almost throws a no-hitter in his second study, a two-out in the ninth inning uh, before Bobby Higginson came off the bench and homered, um, and then he finished it in the Jays 1-2-1. But, yeah, 99 was not as good, and 2000 was awful, and, and, like, awful, awful. He had an ERA of 1064, which was a major league record for the worst ERA for any pitcher ever who had thrown at least 40 innings in a season. Uh, the record has since been broken, so at least to holidays, you know, it's, it's, it's cool that a Hall of Famer doesn't have that ignominious uh, a mark on his book. But, um, but I, you know, I, I think that after that 2000 season and the struggle that he had, he sort of knew that he, there needed to be a lot of work done. There was a lot of stuff that he had to fix about what he was doing in order to be successful. Now, none of us thought they were going to send him all the way down to A-ball. It was uh, unprecedented that something like that would happen. Uh, but they knew that the, the minor league pitching coaches that they had down there, who they trusted and, and who they, they uh, felt would be able to fix and rebuild him, and, and he bought in. And Mel Queen, who uh, passed away a few years ago, was a Blue Jays Um, I think he might have been the double-A pitching coach at the time, but he might have been a coordinator. Um, He said he was as hard on Roy as he has been on anybody. Uh, And they just worked and worked and worked, changed his mechanics, changed his release, changed his grips, changed everything. And the fact that he was able to not only get it, but get it and be back in the major leagues and dominating in three months speaks to his talent and his perseverance and his, his uh, will to make something of himself. Because, yeah, a lot of guys, you know, don't get sent down to A-ball. They get released, and they're done. Um, or, or they wind up kicking around in the minor leagues forever. And he was determined not to let that happen and both the, the changes that uh, he made with the help of Mel Queen and uh, the changes between the years that he made with the help of uh, Harvey Dorfman, the late, great sports psychotherapist. Uh, were huge for Halliday, and he carried around Dorfman's book, The Mental ABCs of Pitching, for his entire career.
0: Well, they definitely helped him, and he is going to be missed. Mike, thanks so much for giving us some perspective on the great Roy Halliday gone far too soon. Really appreciate your time tonight.
1: All right. Hopefully the next time we talk, it's a little happier.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mike Wilner covers the Jays for Sportsnet 590 out of Toronto, and yeah, I mean, we talked about Holiday bursting onto the scene. Almost only had uh, started two games in 1998. Almost had a no hitter. 1999, you know, has an eight and seven record. Looks like he's uh, on the way up, and then just couldn't do it in 2000. He goes four and seven with an ERA of almost 11. Has to start 2001 in a ball. 24 years old comes back up for the Jays. Goes five and three, three point one six earned run average, and then. He just goes from there. Twenty-two and seven for the Jays in uh, 2003 when he won the Cy Young. Twenty-one and ten for the Phillies when he uh, won the Cy Young for them. Won it in both leagues, obviously, and 67 complete games in his career. Several years of seven or more complete games and. Anybody who follows baseball, even a little bit, knows that the complete game is a dying art with pitcher endurance, how they're managed and watched and bullpen specialists and all that kind of stuff. I mean, sometimes you, you see a guy only pitch five five innings for a start and then and then he's out of there. So Halliday, a great pitcher, uh, a great story with the way he uh, worked and, and had to refine himself and make his way. And then, uh, obviously, Wilner touched on just what he was like as a person and how serious he took his profession. And as much as... Well, you know, you got a kid who's playing a sport. It's fun, right? Well, I'd like to play in the NHL someday. I'd like to play Major League Baseball. And I don't think that the guys playing the sports ever lose that element, but there is that time where it comes up profession, and some of the guys who excel at it are just a, a little better, at taking a little, a little bit more seriously and applying themselves and thinking about it and thinking about improving and acting all, on all that kind of stuff. And Halliday, certainly a player who was able to do that for the Toronto Blue Jays. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. It's coming up to 644. Of course, we've got the Eskimos playoff game on Sunday. Brandon Zilstra, Division All-Star, top receiver. He's up next, Inside Sports.
5: Hi, this is Ryan Eason Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad.
0: Patrick Marlowe, sixth of the season for Toronto. They now lead Minnesota 2-1 about six minutes into the second period. We'll keep you updated on that one. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. you can always text 630-630, phone number 780 You have a story idea? You think that there might be someone out there in your community who would make a good feature interview on the show? Don't hesitate to email me, inside sports at 630ched.com. Several segments have been initiated by listeners. And you can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. So the Eskimos getting ready to go to Winnipeg West semifinal on Sunday. Five members of the Eskimos have been named to the West Division all, uh, all-star team. Almondo Sewell on defense. On offense, you got, uh, and also Kenny Ladler on defense. On offense, you got guard Matt O'Donnell, quarterback Mike Riley, and receiver Brandon Zilstra, who spoke with our Dave Campbell after today's practice.
5: Well, Western Division All-Star, at the start of the season, do you set out to be a Western Division All-Star when you set your season goals? Uh, actually, I did. That was, yeah. you know, one of my, like, I think I had 10 goals
4: this year, that was one of my goals, one of my main goals. Um, you know, there's a lot of competition in the West. To be among, among the top of them, you know, it's, that's something big. 10 goals, huh? Would you, would, would you like to list them? Uh, no, <laughs> I'm going to keep that to myself.
5: Uh, your success last year uh carrying over to this season um and you were um, the most outstanding rookie nominee after five games so you got a chance to play not a full season but close to a full season um playing as a receiver in this offense with all the talent around you do you do you think back and go wow how the heck was i able to lead this team in receiving yards when there's so much talent on this team well, the thing with me is, I was just fortunate enough, to, you know,
4: not have some of the injuries that some of the other guys did. And, you know, Darrell Walker coming in late too. So like, I've just played more games than most of the people, and that's the only reason I, you know, it's, I think that's one of the main reasons why I did finish out on top. Um, but I mean, like anybody could finish out. You know, this this offense, like, it's hard to guard everybody, as I always say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you pick and choose your battles.
5: Would you say the offense was a little more, I guess, spread? Because I mean, last year it was get the ball to. Bowman get the ball to Walker and you were able to chip in as well.
4: I think it is getting a little bit spread out, more spread out this year just because you know the weapons we do have and our coaches are doing a good job of realizing that you know key teams can't key up on anybody so they try to make sure that everybody you know gets a good look um, gets their opportunities to make plays um, and everybody that's you know, had their opportunities so far this year has definitely taken advantage of it.
5: I know one of your other ten goals you wanted to lead the league in Yak Yards. I did. D- didn't quite get there but you are the leading Yak Yard leader uh among receivers. Yeah, I didn't know that until just a little bit ago. so
4: that, that, that's <laughs> cool but I didn't I didn't quite get the goal but I mean, among receivers, that's definitely something cool because there's so many great receivers in this league. Um, a lot of them that kind of go unnoticed too. So to be amongst the top of them, um, it feels pretty cool. Does
5: that speak to just the diversity of this offense. I mean, you run a ball control offense where you're going to have to catch the the short hitch pass or you know the screen or whatever, and you're going to have to get yards after the catch. And then there's plays where you're you're going to go downfield. Is mm-hmm. it just speak to the diversity of the offense?
4: Diversity of the offense and just everybody doing their job because you know with this offense. Um, everybody kind of helps each other out. Everybody opens up each other. Um, like this offense is a, like a very team offense. You can't have, you know, one person doing their own thing. Others, it honestly throws off everything. So that's,
5: that's just a result of everybody doing their job all the way down to the linemen. Five-game winning streak. How much of the success lately with this team has to do with, it's a number of factors, but how about, not turning the ball over as much as you did in that six-game losing streak. That's
4: huge. That's what kind of makes or breaks, um, you know, a football game. That's what Coach Moss stresses us. You know, every single day in meetings, that's one of the things he talks about. We have a... A goal board out front that we walk by through or walk by every day. You know, it shows one through nine, mm-hmm. and he always says between that and penalties, um, the teams at the bottom of the list will finish out with the worst, mm-hmm. you know, record in leading. You know, the bottom three in those categories end up finishing out um, the bottom three in the league. So, I mean, there's a lot of truth to what he hit, what, what, why he posted that, and it's uh, something. Yeah, like I said, we've been stressing a ton lately,
5: and the penalties as
4: well. They've gone down. <laughs> That's something we needed to, too, because we, we didn't start out so hot in that
5: category at the beginning yeah. of the year. Even 7-0, right? I mean, you're winning a lot of yeah. games with 10 penalties for 125 yards. That that wasn't a good look.
4: <laughs> it, it wasn't. It uh, We made games a lot closer than they should have been. For, for sure,
5: yeah. So when you facing a, a team like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and they're good, um, same record as you. They're in second, you're in third. I mean, the, the line is thin. And, yes, they have a penchant for turning over the ball and turning the, those... Turnovers into points, but do you uh, can you afford to overemphasize a certain area against a team? Uh, And what I'm getting at is, you you can't turn over the ball against anybody, right? I mean, maybe there's this team does it better than most teams, but you just have to keep the goal of we just can't turn the ball over, period.
4: You definitely can't turn over the ball over period with any team, but just Winnipeg especially, just because you know I think they've been scoring the most off of you know most points off of turnovers, so. You
5: know they know what to do when when Person, they turn over the ball, so it's you know it's especially crucial against them. Uh, the weather. This offense, despite cold weather, despite wind, still managed to move the ball against the Riders. And conditions might be a little bit more favorable uh, on Sunday in Winni- uh, Sunday in Winnipeg. So, uh, how is this offense able to move the ball in even in, in inclement weather? I mean, you think about that rain game in Montreal. Uh, how is this offense able to do it in in you know sun, rain, snow, whatever it is?
4: That's just the talent we have around, and you know the guys really paying attention to the details. Like I said, um, every. Everybody relies on everybody else in this offense, and you know, um, you know, last year, last year if it was, you know weather affected us, like, say, in practice, a lot of time we'd be inside, Mm -hmm. and Coach Moss kind of learned from that last year, and so he's been putting us outside for whether it's raining, you know, snowing, super cold, just so we get used to the elements. Like, today, you know, the the field is covered in snow, so it's different traction for all of us, so he's making sure that we get exposed to all that kind of stuff, so it's, you know, second nature in the game. You're not surprised by it
5: anymore right no (laughs) we're kind of used to everything at this point heck you're from spicer minnesota you're used to snow Ah, Exactly. Uh, do you ever get used to it (laughs) no people say that
4: all the time you're from minnesota you know you're used to this And i said you don't get used to cold weather you just learn how to deal with it kind of (laughs) like you find different ways to deal with it but you never get used to it that's the right answer (laughs) (laughs) yes sir
0: That is Brandon Zylstra talking to Dave Campbell. Zylstra, the leading receiver in the Canadian Football League. Winnipeg will be worrying about stopping him on Sunday. The Eskimos are going to have to worry about stopping Andrew Harris, the best all round threat out of the backfield in the Canadian Football League. Here's Eskimos D-lineman, Armando Sewell.
5: It's not overblown, you know, I've been saying that since 2012. Andrew Harris is the most exciting guy with the football I've ever seen. So, you know, you got to tackle him, you got to stop him, man. The guys, you see guys just bouncing off of him. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, man. So, I mean, we got to shut him down. He's like Coach Benny did, you know, he pulled up the stats this morning. He's 44% of their whole entire offense. So, obviously, that
0: has a reason for it. Yeah, well, yeah, 44% of their entire offense, outstanding season. Who will the quarterback be? Bob Irving, CJOB in Winnipeg, keeping an eye on Bomber's practice. Nichols took some snaps, handed the ball off a few times, and threw a few
5: short passes before taking his helmet off, putting a touc on, and turning the first-team reps over to Dan LaFever, And that was good enough for Blue Bomber head coach Mike O'Shea. He's
3: making progress, and that's, uh, that's a good thing. As I said, he's day and night in terms of
0: making sure he can give himself the best chance. Well, they're going to do everything they can to get Nichols in there. Because if it's Lefevre, the Eskimos go from about a 55% chance of winning to about a 95% chance of winning. Some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken. Book the rumpus room for up to 12 of your closest friends and dig in for a family-style picnic at northernchickenyeg.com, 124th Street, 107th Avenue. Great spot. We're going to meet... A bull rider set for the big PBR Global Cup at Rogers Place starts tomorrow, and a little CFL roundtable coming up inside sports on Chad. Six thirty,
1: Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins weekdays at six on six thirty, Chad.